text for this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, verses 15, uh, 15, and 15 through 17 is our text for this morning. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 5, verse 7 through verse 21. This also is God's holy word. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Almighty God, we thank you, Father, for your generous provision for us, that you've given us time. And Father, we pray that we would understand that time is a precious commodity not to be wasted, uh, not to be used in idleness. Father, we acknowledge that the devil's day is always tomorrow and that tomorrow will never come. But you have commanded us that today is the day of salvation, that today we ought to repent and believe upon Christ and commit our lives to him. Father, we thank you for you indeed are powerful, that your Holy Spirit does a mighty work in the lives of your people. Father, we pray that you would change our old ways, that you would help us to establish new ways, your ways. And Father, we pray that good habits would develop, that commitments would be made even this day. We pray, Father, for the good news of the gospel to go forward, that it would transform lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that our Lord Jesus would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps if you are young, there's something that you may not have seen just yet. And that is the passage of the perception or the perception of the passage of time. How does time pass? You know, I think about uh, something that our, our daughter inquired of us, a privilege that she might do. And we thought, well, maybe when she's 10. But then if you tell her in another five years, that's 100% of her current life. So for five years for her to wait, that'd be, that seemed like forever. 
because she's only lived not even five years. And then when you ask an older person, right, you think about college, typically four years, but then you ask an older person, they blink and then four years have passed. And some of you young people are looking at me like I'm from Mars. But as you get older, you're going to see this pattern. I, I warn you, this, this pattern is true, right? That months and years just seem that decades seem to pass by like nothing. And here you, you think about how uh, when, when you get toward the end of life, especially that time passes so quickly. And at a young age, it seems like you can blow lots of time and it doesn't seem to matter. But you talk to an old person, someone in Christ, and what they will say to you is something like, my, did I waste a lot of time in my life. If I could have done it over again, I would have committed my life to Christ a decade, two decades, three decades earlier than I did. Consider those words of wisdom. Consider your time and how you spend it. Here, we think so easily about how we have plenty of time in our lives to commit to Jesus Christ. I hear this said by people. You know what? I'm too busy right now. I'm working on my career. But when I retire, then I will be committed to Jesus Christ. And we have a passage in Scripture that says, You fool, this very night your life will be required of you. We cannot presume upon our retirement. We cannot presume on the future. If the Lord Jesus is worthy of being followed and worshipped, and he is, then he's worthy of being followed and worshipped even today. So as you think about this passage, think about your commitment to our Lord Jesus. Here we, we have in Ephesians chapter 5, it's as if he's doing a wrapping up or a summer, summarizing section in this Ephesians 5 as he goes through this letter, that he speaks about uh, the walk of children of light, that you are light in the Lord, so he talks about darkness and light, that you are light and you ought to live according to the light. He speaks about how the, uh, the darkness, ex darkness is exposed by the light. That if you're living as the light, as the Lord has called you to, that it will invariably expose. There will be a contrast to the darkness. It will be uncomfortable for those around you. And you will have some type of backlash because people don't like being exposed. And then in today's passage, he presents, he presents uh, this distinction, this contrast in terms of wisdom and foolishness. So the truth that we see in this passage is, may your life be guided by Christ's wisdom with a humble submission to his will as pilgrims in this sinful world. May your life be guided by Christ's wisdom with a humble submission to his will as pilgrims in the sinful world. We'll look at this in three points. The first, wisdom yields a circumspect life. Second, wisdom redeems time and opportunities. And third, wisdom honors the Lord's will. So the first point, wisdom yields a circumspect life in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. <clears throat> Here, we spoke about in Ephesians and even in every uh, letter of Paul and most of the uh, general epistles in the New Testament that there is a beginning in these letters for, for Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 speaks about theology, what God has done. 
And then in Ephesians 4 through 6, it speaks about the practice, uh, what you ought to do, why and how you ought to live because of what God has done on your behalf. We also warned that uh, there is no true leaving of theology. That practice is entirely based upon theology, and the Apostle Paul keeps on returning to it. So, for example, you look at Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. Well, why? Because you are dearly loved children. That's why. There is a need for a separation from the world, uh, that which is darkness, and to walk as children of light. And this is because our God is light. That you are light in the Lord, and light exposes the darkness. So how do you re respond when the light of Christ exposes you? That if you repent and you follow the light, then this is proof that you are light. And if instead you reel away, that you flee from the light, then this is saying that you are darkness, because darkness fears exposure, according to John 3.20. So here the Apostle Paul explains this distinction between darkness and light, between wickedness and righteousness. He explains it in terms of wisdom and foolishness. Are you doing your own will or are you doing God's will? Here we see in verse 15, he begins by saying, look carefully then how you walk. <clears throat> so, He's not so much concerned about your gait, your walk. He's concerned figuratively. You think about the mentions of walk. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Here, look carefully then how you walk. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the, the statement, carefully, look carefully, can also be translated, be observing, or precisely, that, that you ought to walk precisely, accurately, diligently. There ought to be careful, a careful examination about your walk. Sadly, many Christians get this idea wrong. They think that those who look precisely at the law, those who look precisely at their lives, they call this legalism. Hey, why, why do you want to do that legalism? That if we look precisely, what does the law say? What is it telling us to do? That if anyone looks carefully, looks precisely at the law, at your life, they say, hey, that's just legalism. When, and then they call the person who is rather carefree, free-spirited, uh, has a cavalier attitude towards the Christian life. They call that person faithful. This is not true. It's not true at all. We ought to look precisely at what the Lord has given us, that we might obey it carefully. <clears throat> Here we see the effect of wisdom. On your life. Now, wisdom will have an effect on your life. The wisdom from God in your life will produce an examined life. You'll be willing to have your life searched by our God. Isn't this exactly what David was referring to? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. There's a willingness to be searched by God. There's a willingness to have the Holy Spirit examine our lives. This means, practically, because some people can say, hey, I'm willing to have God examine my life uh, anytime and every time. I just don't like it when people start asking me questions 
about my life. Oh, hey, this is, this is the submission to God requires a general submission to man, a willingness to be examined. That when others challenge us and, and they question us, are we willing to accept that? The simple question is, how can I grow and be more faithful in following Jesus Christ? These are questions of others trying to spur you on. You think about the response of darkness. When those questions come, we start to counter-accuse. Well, wait a minute. Why, why are you asking me questions? I asked you questions. Hey, uh, oh, well, what about you? How, how, come, how come you're not as faithful as you should be? If there's a defensiveness, right, when others try to challenge us to grow in Christ and we try to direct it back and deflect it to them is their defensiveness. Then you ask, well, is there a willingness in wisdom to examine our own lives? You must be desiring to challenge yourself that you might be more faithful tomorrow than you were today. There must be a willingness and a diligence in, on your part to review and to examine your own life. So to say, a, a life unexamined is a life not worth living. Here we think about wisdom. We have the beginning of it. We, we saw that in Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We find that here and also in the Proverbs. So the first thing about wisdom, if we have the first thing, there is a fear of God. Not a slavish fear, but there is a reverence for God that we ought to think and we ought to say when our God speaks, we are ready to listen and to obey. You think about some of the, the contrasts regarding wisdom. Those who don't live by the wisdom of Jesus, that is, according to the word of truth, they will live by their feelings, live by whims. These are people who, uh, black is not black and white is not white. It depends how I feel that day. That, that truth, uh, truth is uh, subjective to them, depending on their feelings. Those who don't live by the wisdom of Jesus will live according to their desires. Here, we ought to understand that convictions, convictions need to be set on good days. You need to have convictions on the good days because then when the bad days come, if you don't have those convictions, then there are no hard and fast commandments for you to follow. You need to have those convictions set on the nice sunny days so when that the rainy and the storm days come that you remember hey I committed to follow Jesus Christ that I would obey him especially when times become difficult here if you don't live by the wisdom of Jesus according to godly convictions guided by his word then you're going to live by impulses and your mere instincts so we think about wisdom, and it yields a circumspect life, a life that's willing to be examined, a life, a life of, of care and precision that we would follow our Lord Jesus. We have also in the second point, wisdom redeems time and opportunities in verse 16. Making the best use 
of time because the days are evil. Here we have in the first half of verse 16 an instruction about making the best use of time. Making the best use of time. The Greeks had two words for time. One is chronos, uh, which we're familiar with, by which we get uh, chronology, chronometer, chronograph. This refers to the seconds, minutes, hours. It refers to quantitative time, the amount of time. That's not the word that Paul used in verse 16. He uses the word kairos. It refers to appointed times. It refers to seasons. It refers to opportunities. It refer, it's referring to qualitative time. <clears throat> so though verse 16 here uses the opportunities and seasons time, it doesn't mean that we may waste the chronos time, the quantity of time. You, you think in other places, uh, <clears throat> Psalm 90 verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here, teach us to number our days, talking about the quantity of time. So there's biblical support there for not wasting the chronos time, the the quantity of time. But we ought to understand here the proper usage of opportunity and seasons. We ought not to waste the opportunities that the Lord gives us. Perhaps it's helpful to have an example or two. Here, if you think about uh, uh, a man with a young family or a wife with a young family, that children in general are in the home for about 18 years. Uh, What I've seen is that this more recent generation, that uh, they're not in the home for merely 18 years. There's probably going to be longer There's concepts of the boomerang, that at 18 they might leave, but then sometime later, like 30 or 35, they might boomerang back into the home, into the basement. Well, that's another another thing to talk about later. Here, you think about children in the home. You know, you, you have young men, young women who are ambitious, and they might say, you know what, uh, I... I'm not going to focus on the, the opportunities that I have with my household and giving them instructions, spending time with them, because I need to focus on my career. I'm climbing this ladder. So I, I need to make money so I, my kids can go to college or, or have uh, expensive vacations, whatever it is. 18 years passes very quickly. You blink an eye, and they're about gone, making use of those opportunities. Deuteronomy 6 speaks about how instruction ought to be given within the household. When you rise and when you get up, when you walk along the road, all those are opportunities. Opportunities. A second example. You think about a neighbor who's in dire need of help. He's about to have surgery or he has some type of marital crisis. Uh, Someone that you've been witnessing to that um, I'm not saying that we should allow other people to, to derail our schedules. I'm not saying that at all. But you ought to give some consideration that there are opportunities that arise. That if there's dire need for help, that we ought to provide it in some way. We ought to be that word of wisdom. We ought to be uh, the one who testifies of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> 
Here, we ought to receive some warnings about the times. The first is that how you spend your time indicates where you will be for eternity. Whether it will be the bliss of heaven or the terrors of hell. How you spend your time indicates where you will be for eternity. The wicked man spends his time in sin and in idleness. And as we read earlier, idleness is sin. The wicked person thinks that he has all the time in the world. When the Christian is reminded in God's word that we ought to make the best use of the time. Here, there's something about lost time and opportunity that cannot be recovered. Think about this for a moment. Tomorrow, I'm sorry, yesterday, yesterday, you cannot get back. Whatever, however you spent yesterday, yesterday will not return. It's different than a dollar. That a dollar or even a fortune, you think about uh, a businessman. He, he has a great business, but through one or a series of bad decisions, uh, he completely loses his investment, his entire fortune, his, his life savings is completely lost. And in fact, he has huge debt. So then he files for bankruptcy. And you think about how filing for bankruptcy, right, then, then he can reset. And these debts are, are actually forgiven. And that he can reinvest in the future. And, and then he can make back uh, his business. And he can be wealthy again. So here a dollar, eh, granted a dollar today is not the worth, worth the same as a dollar tomorrow or, or in 10 years. But a fortune lost can be regained. Here, we think about time, it can never be regained. There's something about time, once it's gone, you can't recover it. You will never get yesterday back. And we think also about the, the dangers of wasting time. I think for a moment, your boss needs to go for a week, whether for a business trip or vacation. He assigns you work for a whole week, saying, this is what, this is the... Uh, an appropriate work for an entire week, five days, Monday through Friday. And say you make a bad decision and you waste those first three days. And then you realize, oh no, it's Thursday morning and I need to get to my work. Well, are you allowed to do two days of work? Or has the boss planned for you to do five days of work, but you have two days to complete it? You think about the life that the Lord has given you. He has given us work to do. That our lives are not our own. That you've been put in a place for a reason. That you're to serve those who are around you. Here, we need to think about what the Lord desires that we would do. That's part of wisdom. Is We're not doing what is right in our own eyes. We're doing what God has required of us. Think also about the brevity of life. James gives this warning. James 4, 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You realize this is our God in a succinct description summarizing your life. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Wow. You think about how quickly the mist passes and vanishes. Well, there's a few ways you can respond to this. The first is you could respond, hey, I despise that, that God has said my life is a mist. Well, whether you're a mist or, or as Psalm 90 says, 70 or due to strength, 80 years, in God's time, that is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You, you think about this person, he's thinking, hey, I have all these great plans. I'm going to make money. Uh, I'm going to make these plans. I'm going to make a profit. And he's saying, hey, stop thinking about your life. What does your life really amount to? Your life is a mist. I pray that you don't get stuck on that statement, that you're not rejecting it, because our God is being truthful to you and to me regarding eternity. Our life here is but a mist. The devil flatters. He flatters you that you will always have plenty of time to commit your life to Jesus Christ and to serve him. Hey, listen, buddy, go ahead and have fun, right? Don't be bogged down by all of these rules and regulations that God has given you. That's just a bunch of legalism. Go have fun in life. And then when you get old, then you can, you can serve and be faithful to the Lord. The devil's day is always tomorrow. And that tomorrow will never come. Because tomorrow, then it will be tomorrow again. But Christ's day is today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says... In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here, when you think about redeeming the time and opportunities, the most important one, the most important opportunity is that of committing your life to Jesus Christ. If you have any hesitation, if you're thinking, it can happen later. No, that cannot be delayed. If Christ is worth following, if he's worth serving, and he certainly is, then he is worthy of it today, not tomorrow. It's worthy of it today. That if you have not believed in him, then I urge you, commit your life to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Embrace the promises of the gospel that he freely forgives sinners. That your sins can be washed clean by trusting in him. Here you, you think about how. How the thought of. You know Jesus. I want you. I desire you. I love you. But you know what. I need to wait to a later time. I'll give you an example. A young man. 20. He asks a young woman. 20. To marry him. And she says, you know what? There's a few things I need to finish, and then I will marry you. And he says, okay, next year? And he says, no, when I turn 70, then I'll marry you. And you think about that. He says, wait a minute. She's 20. She wants 50 years to do her own thing. And she says, when I'm old and gray, then I'll commit my life to you. And what, what is the man to think? Wait a minute. Are, are, you, are you planning to be a, a widow, and I'm going to be your second husband, or what? I mean, you start to wonder. 
And, and so also, if we're saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, when I'm 70, when I'm 64, whatever the, whatever the thought is, Jesus, I will commit my life to you, but not now. When I'm old and gray, and the question is, who are you going to be married to for the next 40 or 50 years? Our Lord Jesus is worthy of our worship and praise, and he's worthy of it today. He's worthy of our commitment today. Here, you think about those who have a habit, a tendency to procrastinate. This passage, this verse, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, this is the passage that nips procrastination in the bud. If you're procrastinating your commitment to Lord to the Lord Jesus, you should stop that. Commit your life to him today. The reason that he gives for making the best use of time, the reason he gives is because the days are evil. There's no need to think about, well, the days today are more evil than the days yesterday or, or from 1,000 or 2,000 years ago. We, we, don't, we don't need to go there. All the days have been evil. There's no need to compare. The, gra- the, the significance is that the days are evil, meaning that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. I've never seen gravity pull a person up. Gravity pulls people down. Weeds need no cultivation. If it's a worthless plant in your garden, it will not come out easily and it will not produce anything useful. All the things that bear desirable fruit are going to be difficult to cultivate. And if you pull on it, it will come out of the ground very easily. That's how life is. So also, you think about it, godliness and virtue do not come easily. They do not come by accident. They come through much instruction, through much discipline, through much affliction. This is Psalm 119. Through affliction, I learned your commandments. And it will come through a whole lot of prayer by you and by others around you. That's how godliness and virtue come. There is no other way. Gravity pulls down. Bad habits are hard to break. Good habits are easy to lose. Here we we think about a very simple matter. The church cannot require you to attend a prayer meeting. We certainly cannot. We can only encourage you. Remember having conversations with people, whether it be a prayer meeting, an evening service. The person themselves says, hey, every time I attend the prayer meeting or I attend the evening service, I'm blessed. I said, okay, well, then, then you have your conclusion that you ought to do it then. And he says, no, no, that's, that's not what I said. And, and immediately it's, well, you cannot require me to do that. Well, wait a minute, I, I thought you just said that every time you, you, you participate in it, you're blessed. I mean, it, wouldn't you keep on doing it? Here, we think about this simple matter. The church cannot require you to attend a prayer meeting or an evening service. But is it wise to skip it? I would say it's not. Here, I give you this warning. You look at Romans 1. You think about the whole list of these horrific sins of envy, murder, strife, deceit. 
maliciousness, and the list goes on. But do you know how the Apostle Paul starts that list? Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. How does that list start? Before it gets to envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. What am I saying to you? Honor and thanks are the essentials of worship. Meaning that those those sins begin when we start to neglect the worship of God, His praises. That the uh, that that dam that breaks begins with a small hole, and slowly it gets wider. Why is it that I keep repeating Matthew twenty six forty one? Watch and pray that you do not fall under temptation. And again, if you're saying a complete moral failure, an apostasy, it could never happen to me. I'm sorry, you're ready for some bad news. This warning applies to every single one of us. Here, if we start to become bored with giving honor and praise and thanks to our God. We're already in trouble. We're already in deep water. Here, wisdom redeems time and opportunities. Opportunities to serve God. Opportunities to be a blessing to others. Opportunities to witness to others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, part of wisdom requires us to say that this life is not about me. It's not about you. God has put you in this life that you might serve him. And that serving God requires that you serve others. So that's the second point. The third point, wisdom honors the Lord's will. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we have the negative statement. Therefore, do not be foolish. It's easy. And Language for a language to have some change, even in short periods of time. You know, you, you look at you look at the the King James version from what the 1600s, and then you you have the the across the continent, right? Or well, I should say the authorized version. You have across the continent, and then 400 or so years, language changed. If you think about foolishness, oftentimes it's used synonymously with uh, today with silliness. Hey, don't be silly. But no, foolishness is something that is far, far worse. It refers to that which is immoral. It refers to that which is ungodly. And here he's saying, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's foolishness, rejecting, and being ignorant of God's will. And there is knowing and submitting and honoring God's will, which is wisdom. I'll give an illustration about foolishness. You remember the story of David and his family. 2 Samuel chapter 13, this is after David sinned in adultery and murder. The prophet Nathan came to him and said to him, the sword will never depart from your home. And the second half of 2 Samuel is an account of the sword not departing from his home. You have Tamar, who's being attacked by her half-brother Amnon. And he's trying to commit not just rape, but incestuous rape. And she makes this statement to him, 2 Samuel 13, 13. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. 
foolishness here is not being referred to as some silliness. It is immoral. It is ungodly. He would be a fool in Israel. Foolishness is not knowing and not doing what is pleasing to the Lord. So understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is not referring to God's secret sovereign will. It's not who will you marry? Uh, uh, What is the day of Christ's return? Uh, What is the day of your death? Would it really be helpful for for you to know any of those things? There's a reason why God did not tell us the day of Christ's return. The reason why is because he knows that we are that we have the tendency to be wicked, lazy servants and that we would sit on our hands and twiddle our thumbs until that day comes. We ought to be always ready. God never commands us to seek out his secret will. In fact, he forbids it. He strongly forbids it to attempt to do so as sin. You think about the extent to which people go. Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Here, people turn to mediums and spiritists, fortune tellers, because they want to know the future, the secret will of God. He never tells us to seek for that. Instead, he commands us to trust in him. We don't need to know those details. What we need to know is what you have revealed to us in your word. May that be our focus. We must trust God with our tomorrow and our next year and our eternity. In fact, if we're trusting God with our eternity, it should be a small thing to trust him with tomorrow and next year. This is where you as a Christian ought to set your focus. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of his law. Deuteronomy 29, 29. We ought not to focus on those secret things. They belong to God. We ought to focus on what is pleasing to him. So as used here, God's will refers to his revealed will expressed in the Holy Scriptures. That is, what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Here, oftentimes people ask, well, uh, what is God's will for me? And, and the scriptures summarize that, First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's your sanctification that you would be set apart by God, wholly devoted to him. No longer an object of wrath, but an object used for holy, holy means. That you and I should desire to know God's word, to hide it in our hearts. Perhaps we need to go back to find wisdom. We've talked about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to apply God's word to everyday life. Not merely a theoretical, theoretical knowledge, not merely a being able to regurgitate or recite scriptures, but seeing where scripture meets real life and having that come to life in us. It's interesting when when people are ignoring God's word, they, they don't seem to see where scripture meets life. 
And, and they would say, hey, I, I looked through a concordance for this subject, this word, and I looked through there, and the two verses I found doesn't really say anything about it. But you know what? Somehow, when you're studying God's word, when you're submitting to him, that the, the less obvious places seem to address so clearly what he calls us to do, what he calls us to believe. Here, you think about how the Lord has given us exceedingly great promises. He's given us exceedingly great promises. The world tells us all kinds of things. Satan wants us to live in doubt and in fear and in anxiety. That is the life that he desires for you. Fear, doubt, anxiety. But when you think about the word of God, the promises that God has given us, fear, doubt, and anxiety are not to be the, the, the description of our lives. Peace, joy, faith in Jesus Christ. That is what God has commanded us to. Here, we think back in history. 1730s, 1740s was it. In our country, in New England, there was a young minister, Jonathan Edwards, 31 years of age. The Great Awakening was, in history, perhaps the greatest revival in our land. And they trace it back. Did it begin with uh, the preaching of this young minister? Now we think about the messenger. The focus is never on the messenger. Any revival, every revival is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. We look at what happened. It sounded like it was a sermon that this young minister preached from Ephesians 5.16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Did it matter what scripture it was? It didn't matter. It could have been any scripture from the Old or the New Testament. God could have done it. You think about something as simple. How ought you as a Christian to spend your time? What are the things that are valuable? And if we as God's people will commit to prayer, we will commit to the study of his word, we will commit to be faithful to Christ's church. Imagine what the Holy Spirit will do. Any one of these revivals began with God's people doing what they were supposed to do. God's people living like we are supposed to live so that the world sees, wait a minute, those who are in the church are exposing me. That there is a contrast between light and darkness. It is precisely when inside the church and outside the church there is no difference that there is complacency, that the world is darkness. And there will always be those in the world. We ought to think about what are you and I called to do? How are we called to live as Christians? It is when we are different, that we are living as we ought. It is then the Holy Spirit is already at work and will work mightily. May we pray to those ends. Let's go to our God together in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you, Father.